Iran is always looking for new ways to persecute the Baha'i community, and it has become very sophisticated in the way that it does this. Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. Today we'll be discussing the status of religious freedom for members of the Baha'i faith around the world. Founded in the 19th century Persia, present-day Iran, the Baha'i faith is the second most widespread religion in the world and has communities in most countries and territories across the globe. However, many governments in the Middle East and North Africa region engage in the systematic repression of Baha'is. In particular, Baha'is face persecution in countries such as Iran and Yemen and discrimination in places like Qatar and Tunisia. Here to discuss these challenges with us today is Anthony Vance, Director of the Office of Public Affairs for the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of the United States. Welcome to USER Spotlight, Anthony. Well, thank you. I'm quite happy to be here. Again, thanks for being here. In the next few days, Baha'is will be concluding their 19-day fasting period and celebrating their new year, which coincides with the vernal equinox and the first day of spring. Anthony, for those uh, who may not be familiar in our audience uh, with the Baha'i faith or uh, much uh, detail about it, can you please share with us a bit about the origins of the faith and the core tenets? Sure. Baha'i faith began in Iran, as you, as you mentioned, in the middle of the 19th century. Today, it's, of course, a global religion uh, with about 8 million followers around the world. Its core tenets center around the concept of the oneness of humankind. Uh, that is, that no matter what race, religion, nationality, class, gender, that all of the human race belongs to one family. And uh, we believe that this needs to be reflected not only in the way that we relate to one another, but also ultimately in the way that the world is organized. And so there are some basic social principles also in the Baha'i faith that uh, we believe are supportive of this concept of the oneness of humankind, such as the independent investigation of truth, the equality of men and women, the harmony of science and religion, universal compulsory education, and the, the elimination of the extremes of wealth and poverty, to name a few. Thank you for that uh, overview. And obviously a faith that uh, is very much concerned with the, uh, the betterment of the world, yet we, we see so, many, uh, so much persecution of Baha'is around the world. Just a report issued uh, last week by the United Nations uh, Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Religion or Belief highlighted Uh, quote, increasing insecurity uh, that Baha'is face in several countries in the Middle East and North Africa region, as I mentioned uh, earlier. Can you tell us on what grounds uh, do governments in in these predominantly Muslim countries in the region use to repress members of the Baha'i community? 
And is there a theological element uh, to this repression, uh, given that what you just discussed, the core tenets seem to be very peaceful uh, and uh, advocating for the betterment of humanity? Well, fundamentally, the opposition is theological. Uh, that is, um, by the way, in the, the, today in the world, the only places where Baha'is are experiencing persecution uh, happen to be Muslim uh predominantly Muslim countries. And uh, this is because of this theological belief that there can be no religion arising after Islam. Um, and so within the international community, of course, this is not an acceptable grounds for discrimination. Um, and to some extent with domestic audiences in some of these countries. So in addition to opposing the faith on the basis of it being an independent religion arising after Islam, there have been all sorts of accusations leveled against the Baha'is. For example, in that UN report that you mentioned at the outset, uh, there's an accusation that's very common that the Baha'i faith was created by enemies of Islam in the middle of the 19th century. And of course, uh, since the revolution in Iran in 1979, Baha'is have been accused of being agents of Western governments, the United States, the Soviet Union at that time, and similarly being uh, agents of Zionism. Uh, so um, all of these accusations are designed to discredit uh, the faith in the eyes of the general population in these countries and to provide a politically acceptable reason for persecuting the Baha'is. Now in Yemen, uh, the Houthi movement there has gone after Baha'is and jailed several members of the community, including one of its prominent members, former Yusuf uh, religious prisoner of conscience, uh, Hamid bin Haidara, who ended up having to flee uh, the country upon his release in 2020. Can you tell our audience what the status is uh, today of, uh, of the Baha'is in Yemen? Well, unfortunately, despite the release of six Baha'is from prison in July of 2020, um, the, the situation of the Baha'is in Yemen remains quite grave. There are 24 people still indicted uh, in, in, in a court in Sana'a, despite the fact that uh, five of them were among the six who were released from prison back in July of 2020. Uh, there has been no re reversal of the uh, hate speech that has been that has been issued by uh, various levels of leadership, including um, uh, the head of the Houthis in 2013, who who described the Baha'is as uh, enemies of Islam. Um, some have gone into hiding. There are uh, no public expressions of faith in uh, of the faith in Iran. There have been raids over the years on Baha'i meetings. Uh, property that's been confiscated hasn't been returned. Um, there is no form of recognition, of course, for the Baha'is in Yemen. And there continues to be language that's used that Baha'is are uh, Zionist spies or agents of the West, which we believe is not coincidental. That's the same language that's used by the Iranian government towards the Baha'is. And of course, Iran has been the chief supporter of the Houthis. And, and so there is little doubt in our minds that uh, part of the persecution is due to the influence of Iran, which has an explicit policy laid out in a 1991 memorandum to uproot the uh, 
cultural roots of the Baha'is outside of Iran. That was a memorandum of the Supreme Revolutionary Cultural Council, and it was uh, actually signed and endorsed by the Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei. And it continues to be part of Iranian foreign policy to, to this date. Indeed, and you mentioned uh, uh, you know Yemen taking a, a page out of the playbook of Iran and, and a lot of the hallmarks of how they're uh, persecuting the Baha'is there, and just just you know to to note that this uh, allegation of uh, you know being Zionists and spies for Israel, obviously the founder of the Baha'i faith was uh, was exiled and ended up being uh, buried in present day Israel, but at the time was Palestine. So the allegation there is if Baha'is chose that isn't quite accurate, uh, but even so, uh, it it remains to be one of their allegations, and obviously in Iran where Baha'is have been persecuted uh, since its inception. Uh, we've seen a serious, a serious uptick in arrests of Baha'is in recent months and, and concerningly attempts by Iran's government to confiscate land and property uh, that belongs to Baha'is. What, what can you tell us about uh, what is behind these recent attempts and, and what's the latest situation uh, right now for Baha'is in Iran? Yes, you know, uh, Iran is always looking for new ways to persecute the Baha'i community, and it has become very sophisticated in the way that it does this. It used to just execute Baha'is. Um, uh, of course, uh, you at USERF are very familiar with the fact that over 200 Baha'is were executed in Iran between 1979 and, and 1998, and um, but today the Iranian government, to avoid severe condemnation internationally has resorted to all sorts of forms of oppression. Um, and in order to do this, it, it seeks to still legitimize its persecution of the Baha'is. So, for example, one of the most concerning things that has taken place over the last couple of years is the increase in hate propaganda. Um, in the six-month period ending in April of last year, for example, we saw a surge of about a 36% increase in hate propaganda over the prior year, so that there were about a 1,000 articles and videos and various other forms of uh, hate propaganda on social media against the Baha'is per month. Uh, we think this is designed to uh, make the population more acceptance of the persecution of the Baha'is. Similarly, there have even been art projects, art, art uh, contests to design anti-Baha'i posters that, um, that have, uh, the contests that have occurred in, in the last few months, in fact, in Karaj, uh, in the city of Karaj, in the city of Shiraz. Uh, this is designed to get the general population engaged as, as protagonists of the persecution and to further legitimize it. Now, in addition to that, beginning um, in October of 2020, there were a series of judicial decisions handed down, appellate judicial decisions affecting Baha'i-owned property in Mazandaran province. And the outcome of those decisions was that the um, courts, the court decided that there was, quote, no legitimacy, end quote, in Baha'i ownership of property, um, that Baha'is were part of a deviant sect. 
and uh, therefore they had no right to own property. Now, we were very concerned that these decisions would be used as precedent in elsewhere in Iran, and we are now finding that that is the case. There have been other incidents of property confiscation uh, in Mazandaran province, also in other, at least two other provinces in Iran, um, and uh, we're quite concerned that this will continue. Then finally, um, you know, one of the most notable things has been the uh, passing of legislation that amends Articles 499 and 500 of the uh, Penal Code of 2013 of Iran, uh, which uh, in effect, uh, outlaw the activities of any non-recognized religious minority. In other words, in Iran, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, and Zoroastrian, Zoroastrianism are the recognized religious minorities. And even with Christianity, that's limited to Armenians and Assyrians, not to Christian converts. And so anyone else is labeled a sect. And the, these two pieces of legislation outlaw the activities of sects and provide uh, penalties, judicial penalties, uh, criminal penalties for activities of any kind in support of these sects. And so we're finding that Jonabadi uh, Sufis, Christian converts, and most particularly Baha'is have been targeted by this uh, new legislation. Um, many of the arrests that have occurred uh, over the past year have been arrests where uh, these two provisions of law have been uh, invoked as the reason for prosecuting the, the, uh, the Baha'is. So we're very concerned about this because of the uh, broad sweeping nature of the laws that are involved. And by the way, you know, these laws are interesting because they... Uh, were put together by the parliament after there were uh, apparent cracks in the Iranian system with some appellate provincial courts across the country. There were at least four that uh, reversed lower court decisions against uh, that had uh, convicted them of making propaganda against the regime. But one of these courts explicitly stated that one of these appellate courts ex explicitly stated that uh, teaching the Baha'i faith does not constitute propaganda against the regime. And as a result, um, we believe the parliament acted quickly to change the laws so that uh, merely being part of an, uh, an unrecognized religious minority would be, um, and doing anything at all in support of its activities would be. Uh, criminal. Yes, yeah, sounds very intentional indeed, unfortunately. Um, what about a country like Qatar, where you, you, don't, you haven't really traditionally heard much about the Baha'is facing problems, but we've seen some reporting, uh, including by the United Nations, and I think uh, the Baha'is have spoken out. Well, clearly uh, not the same level uh, as a country like Iran of the persecution there. Baha'is have faced increasing discrimination. Can you tell us a little bit about why that's happening in Qatar? Yes, Qatar is, is um, a different situation in the sense that the government uh, states that it does not discriminate uh, and that uh, all are free to exercise their, uh, their religious beliefs. But at the same time, the actual conduct of the government has been quite troubling. Um, it has um, 
been gradually uh, blacklisting Baha'is. Most Baha'is in Qatar are not citizens of Qatar, even though many of them, if not most of them, were actually born in Qatar. Very difficult to get to get Qatari citizenship. And um, Baha'is have been there for close to close to 100 years, at least 80 years, Baha'is have been living in Qatar and uh, developed a very good reputation such that uh, one family was in fact awarded citizenship back uh, several decades ago uh, by the emir. Um, but in recent years, the Qatari government has been deporting Baha'is, um, either excluding them from re-entering the country or deporting them, not, not uh, renewing their residency permits. So that um, if the present pattern continues, there will not be a viable Baha'i community in a decade or so in in, uh, in Qatar. Uh, because once the head of a household, and it's typically a head of a household who is uh, blacklisted, uh, has to leave, then that usually means other family members have to leave. And the Baha'i community in Qatar is 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 relatively small, between 200 and 300 people. Uh, so this is a very troubling development. There have been all sorts of initiatives taken by the Baha'i community with the government of Qatar. There have been assurances provided by that government, and yet the pattern of blacklisting continues. Um, the Baha'i community finally went to the United Nations system, its special rapporteurs two years ago, who made a finding that indeed uh, there was a troubling pattern of blacklisting Baha'is. Uh, and the Qatari government uh, denied that any such thing was occurring. And so um, we're, of course, uh, hopeful that other uh, avenues of appeal to the Qatari government will be successful, um, including appeals to the United States government. Thank you. We'll obviously keep a close eye on that with those unfortunate uh, developments these past few years. Now, finally, uh, Anthony, given these ongoing challenges, some new ones. Is there anything in particular that uh, would be most helpful from your point of view for the United States government uh, to be doing to promote religious freedom in ways uh, that would uh, positively affect Baha'is around the world, uh, particularly in the uh, region we've been talking about, the Middle East, North Africa, where Baha'is face uh, the most difficulties? Well, uh, I think it's very important for the U.S. government to um, speak out uh, first of all, uh, placing a spotlight on these uh, forms of discrimination uh, is is actually important. Despite the bluster uh, that many governments evidence, uh, they really are concerned about their reputations. And so, the more persecution is spotlighted, uh, the uh, the uh, better the ultimate result. Um, the U.S. can also uh, integrate human rights into its various negotiations, uh, for including special negotiations, for example, with the Iranians on the uh, nuclear deal. Um, it seems pretty apparent uh, that uh, not only um, is it important to integrate human rights into um, such negotiations to alleviate the persecution of minorities, including the Baha'is in Iran. But also this affects the Baha'is in Yemen, who are very much influenced by the Iranians, and the Baha'is in Qatar, who um, probably have been influenced by the Iranians, given the tremendous dependence that the Qataris had on Iran to 
um, provide an air route in and out of uh, Qatar during the three-year blockade that existed uh, from uh, other uh, Arab countries uh, fairly recently. So um, there is reason to believe that consistent with Iran's stated foreign policy, it has had a hand in the persecution of the Baha'is in Qatar. And so this, this, you know, so it's very important in the U.S. relations with Iran to include these uh, concerns. And thirdly, um, the United States can continue to be active uh, and to press further its activity in the uh, Human Rights Council at the U.N. and, of course, in the U.N. General Assembly, where in both, both places it's very supportive of resolutions that, uh, that highlight uh, the persecution of the Baha'is and other religious minorities in the Middle East, um, and, um, and also that uh, uh, the appointment of special rapporteurs uh, into the investigation of these, uh, of these uh, forms of persecution. Um, there are also things that the U.S. could do uh, in its bilateral relations with countries. You know, it has... For example, with Qatar, it has regular strategic uh, dialogues. Uh, it can include uh, religious freedom in those dialogues. It can encourage other countries to do the same in their bilateral relations. The United States has been a real leader in developing religious freedom institutions, such as the uh, U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom and an office in its foreign ministry and in the State Department uh, that is dedicated to religious freedom. It can encourage other countries to do the same uh, so that uh, this very, very important freedom is, uh, is allowed to uh, flourish uh, more widely worldwide. And we'll have to, to leave it right here. I want to thank Anthony Vance for taking the time to speak with us today about the plight of Baha'is. In, in certain parts of the world, in the Middle East in particular, where they face ongoing and serious challenges. And also to wish uh, Anthony and, and the Baha'i community a happy new year uh, right around the corner here. You can find USERF's uh, reporting on Iran in particular and our recommendations for U.S. policy on our website, uh, as well as uh, a recommendation on uh, Houthis to be an entity of particular concern in part uh, for their treatment uh, of Baha'is. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on USERF Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.